Long History, Francis Drake's Voyage About the World, Top 10 Events. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of our Top 10s. In these episodes we like to look back on documents we covered and look at the 10 main events that took place during that document. And we'll point out in which episode those um, events took place so you can go back and listen to those episodes if they're of interest. So it's just a way of summarising these documents which are sometimes very long, over 20 and 30 episodes. This one's about the voyage about the world by Sir Francis Drake. But in other episodes we cover the 10 main events that took place during Magellan, the Magellan fleet's voyage around the world and Columbus's voyage across the Atlantic. These top 10s also mean that we're about to start a new document so don't forget to subscribe so you can learn about that new document when we release it. But in the meantime let's get going with Long History's Francis Drake's voyage about the world top 10 events. Now this is a curious one, we've never had this in any of the other documents. And here we see that Francis Drake has a false start. He sets off from Plymouth but is forced to return. I think he leaves Plymouth and goes to Falmouth but is forced to return to Plymouth after a storm for repairs. So it's not really a very auspicious start for the fleet and we've got the quote here. For the repairing of them and many other damages and the tempest sustained, as soon as the weather would give leave, to bear back to Plymouth again. Where we all arrived the 13th day, November the 28th, after our first departure hence. Whence, having in few days supplied all defects, with happier sails we once more put to sea, December the 13th, 1577. So the first episode that we note here is that uh, Francis Drake had a false start when he set off on his journey. That false start takes place in episode 1. Now there are lots of interesting episodes in between, but for the next major event in this text I'm leaping to episode 6. And this is when Drake discovers a mutineer. And anyone who's listened to um, a few of these uh, documents on long history will now know that uh, mutineers are quite a common thing, sometimes leading to complete chaos and death and destruction. And that is perhaps why Francis Drake has to repress this hint of mutineer so severely. But it's actually a very strange episode and very unlike other mutineers we've covered in long history. Because everyone seemed to like the man involved. He appears to be a good friend of Drake. I wasn't able to find his name. I don't know if it, I don't think it's in the document. I presume it's um, been found out somewhere else. But it is clear that once Drake finds out that there is a mutiny, even a threat of a mutiny, he has to do something about it. I've got a quote here from episode 6. There was a joined and grew another mischief, wrought and contrived closely amongst ourselves. There's a bit of a gap and then, not only to the violent shedding of innocent blood by murdering our general, and such others as were most firm and faithful to him, but also to the final overthrow of the whole action intended, and to diverse other most dangerous effects. So the man is captured, and as I say, everyone seems to actually like him, so he's given a choice. Either he can return to England and face his judgment there, or he can um, be left on land, or he can be killed pretty much there and then. The man is able to choose his own punishment, and to everyone's surprise really, he chooses to be put to death. And there's a very strange scene where they have dinner and it's all very friendly and then the man's killed. And this is the final detail about that man. He left unto our fleet a lamentable example of a goodly gentleman who, in seeking advancement unfit for him, cast away himself. So here the writer of this document is saying, this was a good man who got too ambitious and turned bad. And I suppose it's a strange one thinking about it. This whole episode is strange, frankly. But to want to go on a ship to the middle of nowhere in these years, it was a very big risk, a very big adventure. These must be people with egos. So that second quote took place in episode 7. And in the same episode, episode 7, the next event is that Francis Drake renames his ship from the Pelican to the Golden Hind. 
And I think the Golden Hind is the more famous name of uh, Francis Drake's ship, which has gone down in history. So I was a bit surprised to see that it wasn't the original name of the boat. And Francis Drake seems to do it as part of a ceremony right on the southern tip of South America, sort of to acknowledge uh, Queen Elizabeth, as shown in this quotation. At this cape, our general caused his fleet, in homage to our sovereign lady, the Queen's Majesty, to strike their topsails upon the bunt as a token of his willing and glad mind, to show his dutiful obedience to Her Highness, whom he acknowledged to have full interest and right in that new discovery. And withal, in remembrance of his honourable friend and favourer, Sir Christopher Hatton, he changed the name of the ship which himself went in, from the Pelican, to be called the Golden Hind. So I haven't looked into all the details there of who Sir Christopher Hatton is, I presume he's one of the sponsors of this um, journey. But it seems that Francis Drake wants to create a, a moment here, and wants to make sure that his discoveries are linked to Queen Elizabeth. So that takes place in episode 7, the renaming of the ship to the Golden Hind. And until now, nothing, not much has gone wrong on this voyage. There was the mutiny, of course. But as they go through the Magellan Strait, the journey seems to reach its most perilous point. And here, the renamed Golden Hind ship loses contact with uh, two of the other ships, Marigold and the Elizabeth. And by the end of this episode, he seems to have lost contact with all the other ships in the fleet. Here is the quotation about the loss of the Marigold. For these violent and extraordinary flows, such as seldom have been seen, still continuing or rather increasing, September the 30th, in the night, caused the sorrowful separation of the marigold from us. Now, I'm not sure what he's saying there, If it, when he says separation, if it just departed and went off, or if the ship actually sank, it's not very clear there. However, if I'm understanding things correctly, with the Elizabeth it's a bit more clear. Here's, here's the quote about the loss of the Elizabeth. The beginning of the quote is slightly paraphrased just to make it a bit more comprehensible. We lost the company in sight of our vice-admiral, the Elizabeth, partly through the negligence of those that had the charge of her, partly through a kind of desire that some in her had to be out of these troubles and to be at home again. So whereas at least from this text I can't quite be sure what happened to the marigold, the Elizabeth just seemed to have uh, mutinied and gone off. And I think the text itself further on states that it returned to England. And the key point here to take away is that um, the Golden Hind was left on its own after this point. So that's the fourth event when they lost contact with the other ships. And the next event is the storms that take place as they go around the Magellan Strait. These already started in episode 8, but they become particularly strong in episode 9 with this quotation. Our men, thus worn and tired out by so many and so long intolerable toils, the like whereof, it's to be supposed, no traveller hath felt, neither hath there ever been such a temper, that any records make mention of, so violent and of such continuance, since Noah's flood. For, as hath been said, it lasted from September the 7th to October the 28th, full 52 days. So the writer of this document makes it clear just how arduous this storm was for more than a month. And here it becomes a bit unclear where exactly Francis Drake is. He seems to wander around the uh, Magellan Strait. He comes across various islands and seems to head back on himself uh, at some point. But eventually he starts heading up the coast that today is known as Chile. By now, the Golden Hind is exhausted and um, on its own. Those storms, those principal storms, take place in episode 9. The next event, or the next main category of events that take place around this um, part of the voyage, is the piracy that takes place. And it's slightly jarring at first, after those storms, to suddenly the, to find Francis Drake and his men suddenly stealing from the Spanish. And the way it's reported also, almost in jest, we'll see a couple of quotes here. I think this first one involves a drover who has cattle of some sort, might be llamas or sheep, I can't remember, but they are carrying um, silver. 
we could not endure to see a gentleman Spaniard turning carrier so, and therefore, without entreaty, we offered our service and became drovers, only his directions were not so perfect that we could keep the way which he intended. For almost as soon as he was parted from us, we, with our new kind of carriages, were common to our boats. Now, when I first came across that passage, I almost did a double take. I wasn't quite sure what it was meaning. It's kind of a convoluted phrase wrapped up in this English from the 1500s. But you realise when you look at it again that what it's in fact saying indirectly is that they came across this man who was um, a drover and basically forced him to go away and took over his um, flock and drove the flock back to their ships, stealing all his things. But you can see this text is trying to be witty. And just in case we were unsure of that tone, here's another quotation from the same episode about a different event. In two barks here, we found some 40 and odd bars of silver, of the bigness and fashion of a brickbat, and in weight each of them about 20 pounds, of which we took the burthen on ourselves to ease them. So it's that final phrase that has the kind of humour, sarcasm almost. And it's almost a jarring tone after those um, storms and the mutinies to have this kind of sarcastic turn of events. But the Spanish and the English are clearly enemies at this time. These are not the only examples of piracy that take place, but they both take place in the same episode, which is episode 11. And we're on to the seventh event, which takes place in episode 13. And this is where Drake has to give up his plans to try and find a northern passage around the Americas. Now, this is another odd one, because reading this document cold, and thinking back to my schoolboy history of Drake, I knew something about the northern passage was involved. But these were things that I forgot a long time ago. And it's not as if at the beginning of this document there's a stated aim to find the Northern Passage, that I can remember anyway. So as we reach these episodes where he goes into Oregon and it becomes very cold and then Drake is forced to abandon this attempt to go around North America, like the piracy, it just seems to come out of the blue. And we just have to take this as read that this was planned all along and that here Francis Drake had to abandon those plans. I've got the quotation here. Though we searched the coast diligently, even unto the 48th degree, Yet we found not the land to trend so much as one point in any place towards the east. The text continues, concluding with this phrase. We had a smooth and calm sea, with ordinary flowing and reflowing, which could not have been had there been a fret, of which we rather infallibly concluded than conjectured that there was none. So what Drake basically says here is that the, the, there seems to be no strait that connects um, the Atlantic and the Pacific via the north of um, the Americas. So that's the point where, in episode 13... Drake gives up on his ambitions to go around the north of the Americas. Moving on to episode 15 now, and by giving up on his plans to head north, Drake goes back down to the south and reaches California. And we have two or three episodes about these um, Californian experiences, and I've got two quotations about these events, one where Drake claims this land for England, and the other one where he um, describes the local people. This country, or general named Albion, and for that, two causes, the one in respect of the wide banks and cliffs which lie towards the sea, the other that it might have some affinity, even in name also, with our own country, which was sometimes so called. So that's where Francis Drake names today's California Albion, and it's interesting to see that sometimes these names don't stick. And here's the other quotation. They are a people of a tractable, free and loving nature, without guile or treachery, so we do have a lot of details about these people in these episodes, so it's interesting if you want to find out more, go back and uh, look at them. I thought there was a lot to unpack in this particular quotation, because I've seen similar descriptions in Spanish documents, 
And I suppose with a 21st century eye, you can see that this description is the, is the description of an ideal person to be colonised. So we're seeing how Francis Drake's voyage around the Americas is in part an attempt to look for places to colonise. And those quotations are both from episode 15. So at this point, Drake has reached the Americas, but there are only four episodes left for him to reach home. So the document concentrates quite a lot on these Californian experiences, but then dashes through the rest of the journey. The next event is when they've crossed the Pacific and reached Ternate, one of the islands formerly known as the Spice Islands in um, today's Indonesia. And it almost seems to go too well with the king of Ternate. The Portuguese are in the area, so it becomes a very political situation with the Spanish not quite trusting this king of Ternate. And there's one particular episode which reveals this when the king doesn't live up to a promise to come to see Francis Drake, and so they immediately become suspicious. I've got the quotation here. At the time appointed, our general, having set all things in order to receive him, looked for the king's return. So just to chip in here, we can see that he's arranged to meet the king, but the king hasn't turned up. And the quotation continues. Who, failing both in time and promise, sent his brother to make his excuse and to entreat our general to come on shore, his brother being the while to remain aboard as a pawn for his safe restoring. So we see that um, the king has sent his brother as a kind of a hostage, asking that uh, Francis Drake goes on land. But Drake is already very suspicious about this. He doesn't want to leave his ship. And this quotation finishes with, with Drake giving his reason for refusing this request. Or General could willingly have consented if the king himself had not first broke his word. So what Drake appears to have said here is that because the king broke his word, Francis Drake can't possibly just suddenly concede to his demands. But this just seems to have been a little misunderstanding, for things go very well for the Francis Drake in Ternate, despite the local politics and various rivalries with the Portuguese. So that's episode number nine, where they reach Ternate and meet the king. So we're now on the tenth event, and usually the tenth event is the return back to the home country, but here a dramatic event takes place in um, episode 19. And it's actually been a remarkably peril-free journey, apart from those um, storms around the Magellan Strait. But just to show how perilous this journey is, the ship suddenly runs aground in episode 19, very near to the end, well, the end of this document at least, and they give themselves up for dead in the following quotation. Our ship was laid up so fast upon a desperate shoal, we know other likelihood in appearance, but that we, with her, must there presently perish, there being no probability how anything could be saved or any person escape alive. Despite this last moment of peril, they do survive and they eventually make it back home. So that's the tenth event when they run aground near Sulawesi. And I couldn't really end this document without actually giving the end of the journey, so I'll have to add another eleventh event here. And this is when they make it back home. It's funny, at the episode 20, they actually go halfway around the world, but it's just a list of places they visit, really. There's not many too many major events, as far as I can remember anyway. But here's when they reach home. And the 26th of September, which was Monday in the just and ordinary reckoning of those that had stayed at home in one place or country, but in our computation, was the Lord's Day or Sunday. We safely, with joyful minds and thankful hearts to God, arrived at Plymouth, the place of our first setting forth. After we had spent two years, ten months and some few odd days beside, in seeing the wonders of the Lord in the deep, in discovering so many admirable things, in going through with so many strange adventures. So the quotation goes on, but I think we get the point. And that, of course, is the final main event in this text when Francis Drake and the boat finally reach home. 
So there you go, those are the 10 main events according to my reading of this document, plus an extra one, just the arrival back home. I hope you've enjoyed this little summary of uh, Francis Drake's voyage about the world. Don't forget to go back if any particular events have interested you to go back and listen to the original episode. And as I stated previously, we've also got top 10s about uh, Magellan's, um, the Magellan fleet's voyage around the world and Columbus's voyage across the Atlantic. So if you've enjoyed this, there is lots and lots more to explore here on Long History. Before you go, please don't forget to give us a like and subscribe and share these things so to get the word out about Long History, where we split up some of the world's most important source documents into 10-minute chunks so you can listen to them at leisure. Thanks everyone for listening to Long History's Francis Drake's Voyage About the World, Top 10 Events. Goodbye.